Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Between change, growth, and possessing God's promises. And we had a quick look at Exodus 23, 29 to 30, which says, I will not drive them out for you uh, from before you in one year, lest the land becomes desolate and the wild bees multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land and we did kind of mention that it doesn't it's probably not the most encouraging scripture found in the bible it said little by little little by little as you grow as you multiply but here we have a very important principle in the word of god that in order to possess the promise that god has already promised to you by the way he has already said you will have this and in the bible it contains great and many promises from god for your life that is spoken over your life but in order to possess it we need to grow We need to take that little by little as I expand, as I grow. And this was a revelation that hit me. My growth triggers the possession of God's promise. My growth triggers the possession of God's promise. There's a difference between the possession of God's promise and the promise that we just spoke about. And so it's important that we change because we then grow. And when we grow, we then possess more of what God has got for us. And so we unpack the process of growth and we unpacked how growth never, never happens without discomfort. We need to become comfortable with being uncomfortable in order that we can grow, we can stretch, and we can possess all that God has got for us. And we talked about that process being that God challenges our norm, how we normally live, with a higher thought, a more true thought, a more kingdom-minded principle that is found in His Word, as the Bible describes in Romans 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So when we take in a God thought, allow it to challenge our current thought, and then we choose to get rid of the old thought and hold on to the God thought, we change and we grow. I know I just said a whole bunch of stuff, uh, but the podcast is available for you. And um, I, well, I just wanted to say that because, you know what, this morning, I, I believe that I'm going to give you a, uh, a, a, something that's going to be a little bit challenging. In fact, you know what, because I love you, I'm going to give you something really challenging. Because my heart is that you grow. My heart is that you get a little bit uncomfortable because the God truth that is about to hit you is going to rattle on the inside a little bit. But it brings about a change that then brings about the possession of all that God has got for you. I'm not satisfied with you being the way you are. Love you guys. You are fantastic. But there's so much more. There's so much better ahead of you. And, and, and I'm so excited to see that. So to kick things off, something a bit more comfortable, I have a video to show you. So turn to the screens and have a little whiz. I want you to, for a moment, think about playing a game of Monopoly. Except in this game, that combination of skill, talent, and luck that help earn you success in games as in life has been rendered irrelevant because this game's been rigged and you've got the upper hand. You've got more money, more opportunities to move around the board, 
and more access to resources. And as you think about that experience, I want you to ask yourself, how might that experience of being a privileged player in a rigged game change the way that you think about yourself and regard that other player? So we ran a study on the UC Berkeley campus to look at exactly that question. We brought in more than 100 pairs of strangers into the lab, and with the flip of a coin, randomly assigned one of the two to be a rich player in a rigged game. They got two times as much money. When they passed go, they collected twice the salary, and they got to roll both dice instead of one, so they got to move around the board a lot more. <laughs> and over the course of 15 minutes, we watched through hidden cameras what happened. And what I want to do today for the first time is show you a little bit of what we saw. You're going to have to pardon the sound quality in some cases because, again, these were hidden cameras. So we've provided subtitles. How many 500s did you have? Just one. Are you serious? Yeah. I have three. <laughs> I don't know why they gave me so much. Okay, so it was quickly apparent to players that something was up. One person clearly has a lot more money than the other person. And yet, as the game unfolded, we saw very notable differences and dramatic differences begin to emerge between the two players. The rich player started to move around the board louder, literally smacking the board with their piece as he went around. We were more likely to see signs of dominance and nonverbal signs of display, uh, displays of power and celebration among the rich players. All right, we had a bowl of pretzels positioned off to the side. It's on the bottom right corner there. That, that allowed us to watch participants' consumatory behavior. So we're just tracking how many pretzels participants eat. Are those pretzels a trick? I don't know. <laughs> okay, so no surprises. People are on to us. They wonder what that bowl of pretzels is doing there in the first place. One even asks, like you just saw, is that bowl of pretzels there as a trick? And yet, Despite that, the power of the situation seems to inevitably dominate, and those rich players start to eat more pretzels. And as the game went on, one of the really interesting and dramatic patterns that we observed begin to emerge was that the rich players actually started to become ruder for the other person. Less and less sensitive to the plight of those poor, poor players, and more and more demonstrative of their material success. More likely to showcase how well they're doing. I have some money. You owe me $24. I don't buy it, I mean, I have so much money. I have so much money to take me for her. I'm gonna buy out this whole board. You're gonna run out of money soon. I'm pretty much untouchable at this point. Okay. And here's what I think was really, really interesting. Is that at the end of the 15 minutes, we asked the players to talk about their experience during the game. And when the rich players talked about why they'd inevitably won in this rigged game of Monopoly, They talked about what they'd done to buy those different properties and earn their success in the game. And they became far less attuned 
to all those different features of the situation, including that flip of a coin that had randomly... Good fun, isn't it? Who wants to watch the rest of it? It's available on YouTube for free. <laughs> yeah, I do kind of want to play Monopoly. Who want, I want to be the rigged player. <laughs> Who wants to play against me? You get one 500, I get three. And uh, you should, re re honestly, I watched this last year and it really changed my perspective about um, money. And it's really, really cool. I think it's, a, it's such an important message that we need to understand. And, and just to give you a bit of a taste there, they talked about, he talks about a whole bunch of different experiments that they did. One of them shows that richer people are far more likely to take lollies uh, that were meant for children than poorer people. Good fun, hey. So we're watching all of you guys as you eat those boodle table food. We, we know what's, we're actually experimenting. There's a hidden camera in the foyer. <laughs> We'll mark you down as, no, totally joking, no one's watching as you eat. And um, just to give you a taster, but I love the observation that, that well, the, even the thought of making up such experiments for us to observe people's behaviours and people's thought processes. And the truth is money changes the way that we think. And how interesting is it that Jesus talks more about money than any other topic during his time. We quote Jesus' uh, talks about love, grace, heaven and hell, kingdom, and all that kind of stuff. But the truth is, Jesus talks about money more than anything else. And I have a sneaking suspicion that Jesus knew that money has a way of changing us has a way of setting our minds on different things. And there was this particular encounter where Jesus was talking to a rich young man, a rich young ruler, in fact. And, and this guy, obviously, he has money, he's got power, he's got lots of stuff. But this man comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And here already we have a little clue into something. This man who already is considered successful in the world, we're still searching for something more. And so he, Jesus, interestingly to me, answers, if you obey all the laws that Moses gave you, then you're going to inherit eternal life. This man says, all those I've been doing since I was a boy. So he already tries to live the good life. It's not like he uses the riches to oppress other people. But he was still searching for something more. And so Jesus responds to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. I want you to note that Jesus gave a promise in there that this rich young ruler was already looking for. This man understood that what he had in this world was not enough. He wanted something eternal. He wanted something real. He wanted something more. And so he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do? Jesus says, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will 
have treasure in heaven. Did you hear that promise? You will have treasure in heaven. You will get that something more that you have been looking for. You will get that satisfaction that you have been so looking for that you were willing to come to me and say, what is it that must do? You've been obeying all these laws all of your life, trying to find a thing that satisfies. So why don't you get rid of the stuff that doesn't satisfy? And you will have the thing that satisfies crazy thought, isn't it? But in that moment, how did that young man respond? He was sad. He just heard a great promise. He just heard that he was going to get treasure in heaven. He just heard that there was something that he had been searching for. Jesus said, it's quite easy. You already know that your life on earth, and, 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 and understand this 2,000 years ago, they didn't have medical science to extend your life by 1,000 years. These guys died young. So even though he was young, he wasn't going to live very long. And he said, so maybe the next 40, 50 years of your life, you'll live poor, but you're going to have riches in heaven. But this guy could not, could not, could not overlook the riches that he currently had. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Money has a way of changing our point of view. Money has a way of changing how we see things. And that's why Jesus talks so much about it. And so this morning, I want to unpack a few mindsets with you about money because I believe that we need to know how to view money. And the truth is Jesus doesn't hate money. In fact, one of his 12 disciples was a tax collector who, by definition, was a greedy person who would rip other people off and steal their money, and yet Jesus still accepted him. It was not a problem that we had money at one stage or we chased after money at one stage. In fact, Jesus was far more uh, 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 strong when he spoke to the religious people. When, when it came to tax collectors, he was like, I'm going to hang out with you. I'm just going to share with you. I'm just going to have this meal with you. In fact, the religious people often would say to Jesus, you are a bad person because you would hang out with tax collectors. Meaning Jesus Jesus enjoyed hanging out with tax collectors a lot more than the religious folk. Jesus did not have a problem with money. He had a problem with what money does to us. He had a problem with how money changes our perspective. And so this morning, I want to unpack three mindsets that I think we need to check in our hearts, whether we hold these godly mindsets or not. Are you ready for this? Some of these are probably going to hurt a little bit. I hope it does, because I love you. Mindset number one, money does not bring satisfaction. You know, the Bible is actually really clear about this. I loved it. While I was doing research, I was like, I can't believe the Bible actually says this. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. It's in the Bible. Did you know that? No, he who loves wealth with his income. There was a study done in America asking people how much more money would they need in order to be satisfied. Guess what? Every single block of income, people said the next one would make me satisfied. It didn't matter whether you were already earning a million dollars. If you're earning a million dollars, you say, I want to earn a million and five. If you're earning 10,000, it's like maybe 15,000 would be enough. Uh, You know, I just need a little bit more. 
We always, when it comes to money, when it comes to income, it always feels like a little bit more would bring me satisfaction. But the moment you take that step into that next level of income earning, it still doesn't bring satisfaction. Think about it this way. We live in Australia, a land of safety, generally speaking, uh, a place where we have shelter, where we have ability to make money. We have education. We have health. We have all of these things. But yet we have rising rates of depression, anxiety, worry, and suicide. Money does not make us satisfied. We have to understand this. And the truth is that I don't think many of us start with the mindset that a little bit more money will make me happy. The truth is I think many of us start off seeing what money allows us to do. And then we think maybe if I'm going to be able to do that, go for that extra holiday, buy that yacht, buy that car, buy that house, maybe then I will be happy. And so if we boil it down, money doesn't make us satisfied. Money gives us options. And quite often, what happens then is in chasing the money behind the options, we get sucked into this process of thinking money is a thing that makes me satisfied. Instead, we need to remember that money doesn't satisfy. Money gives me options. So the question then that we need to ask is what should I do with money that truly brings satisfaction? And like we heard what Jesus said to the rich young ruler, he said, give your money away, stop hoarding it, stop allowing it to be your king, really, because he was so caught up with that money that he wasn't willing to give it up in order to get eternal riches. And so the second mindset that we need to uh, uh, really consider is that a generous life is a satisfying life. The purpose of money is to give us the option to be generous. Last year we had a series called Supersize Me. It was probably one of my favorite series because it was lots of fun. It was challenging, but it was also freeing, I believe, for many people. And the key verse that we had there was in Proverbs 11:24 from the message version, which says, the world, if you know what to say, the world of the generous gets and larger. Yes, the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The thing about having more money, and, you, and if you go watch Paul Piff, uh, crazy name, Paul Piff, talk about um, uh, uh, his research, what, what they found out was that the richer you became, the more entitled you became. That, that was a trend that, that seemed to take place. The richer I became, the more entitled I became, which, which simply means that people were more caught up in needing to get more. I'm entitled to have more. It's all about me. The richer people became, the less uh, empathetic and less compassionate they were, as you can see in that game. It's like, ha, 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 I'm going to buy you out. Uh, and all that kind of behaviors happen. The richer we become, it somehow stirs something up on the inside of us. But what we are finding is that your world gets smaller and smaller. Why does it get smaller? It's because your focus is on you. Yeah. You're small. Literally compared to the largeness of even our state. And then if you think about our nation, and then you think about the world, and you think about the universe, you're a tiny speck. And if you focus on the fact that uh, you focus your whole perspective on yourself, you're, you're, you're looking at a speck. You're talking about time. You're going to come and you're going to go. It's not, it's, it's, it's a small world. You know, we, we went to America as a family and we went to um, 
Disneyland, and it was really cool. I was only about six, I think. And because I was six, I was about that tall and couldn't do many rides. And one of the rides I could do was one called, it was a small, small world. <laughs> and it was the worst ride you could do. You took this boat that did not travel faster than a toddler crawling, and they sang the song about a million times. <laughs> you could drum into my head, it's a small, small world. And you had all these like wax dolls. I was like, okay, this. Yeah, if I lived here, this would, this would drive me crazy. But yet many of us live that kind of life where we are like, it's all about me. I don't know why you walk like that, but I think that's what rich people do. You, know? you go a bit crazy because you don't care about what other people think. You just walk around like an idiot, and you are an idiot if you think that your life is more precious than someone else's on earth. If you think that somehow in this rigged game where I was born into a family that had plenty means that I mean more and I'm more valuable than someone that got born in the slums of India. Why is it that we allow ourselves to be blinded to what is happening in our very large and very broken world when my life could make a difference? A generous life is a satisfying life. I've got a second part of the video that I want to show to you now, just to help you just think through this, um, what we've been talking about. In one study, we had people watch a brief video, just 46 seconds long, about childhood poverty that served as a reminder of the needs of others in the world around them. And after watching that, we looked at how willing people were to offer up their own time to a stranger presented to them in the lab who was in distress. After watching this video, an hour later, rich people became just as generous of their own time to help out this other person, a stranger, as someone who's poor, suggesting that these differences are not innate or categorical, but are so malleable to slight changes in people's values and little nudges of compassion through this whole video, which goes for about 16 minutes, he outlines time and time again how rich people are so self-centered, self-focused, living in a very small world. And then he finishes off with that little story about how they showed a 46-second clip. And one hour later, people were challenged enough so that the behavior was human again, was, was back to how it should be. Isn't it interesting that Generosity is not really about being better. Generosity isn't about being more valuable. It isn't about doing good so that you feel good, but it really is about realizing that we live in a, in a big world and we can do something about it. That God placed you here for a purpose so that you can make a difference. And that's what I want us to have... Uh, the third mindset that I think that is so important for us to hold is that generosity is simply God-driven stewardship. Generosity is not about you giving more money away. Generosity is not about you being kinder. Generosity is about each and every single one of us understanding that God has placed us here so that we can make a difference. When those people in that study saw that hey, that people that don't have what I have 
no fault of their own, and I could make a difference, something switched on the inside of them, and they started to see how they could make a difference. Let me just read to you Romans 12, 1 and 2 from the Message Version. I love this. This is what Paul writes. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. How cool was that? Take your everyday ordinary. Take your everyday ordinary. Generosity is about seeing that any moment that I'm alive is an opportunity for me to do something for God. We've gotten into this space where generosity is almost a separate part of our lives. We're, 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 okay, it's Compassion Sunday, time to get the generosity muscle cranking. And we forget that we live lives 24-7. And we spend more time thinking about ourselves and what we want and what we are feeling and what, you know, all that kind of stuff rather than the fact that we live on earth and that we can do something about it. And, and, and I say that is God-driven stewardship because God also gives us many ideas and many uh, key principles on looking after ourselves. You know, the money that you receive is not just to be given away so that tomorrow you become one of the poor. That's not exactly what we're talking about. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about stewardship, making sure that your family is looked after, making sure that your future uh, generations that come from you is going to be looked after, is going to be set up to win. But then from there going, I can make a difference. And there's also other parts of our lives. Maybe it's about uh, being encouraging and being loving. You know, we, I love letter writing and it's something that is coming back to, to me. It's something that I really want to work on because it's a way that I can be generous with my words to my children. You know, uh, we watched a video last week that, that Compassion passed to us and, and they were talking about how some of these children love it when they read these letters and, and they said, you are loved and you are accepted. You know, that is as powerful uh, uh, in breaking the mindset of poverty as, as, as the money that we give. So maybe it's about going, I need to be more generous in my time. To be honest, I don't know what to write to a 13-year-old girl is an effort and is a sacrifice. And it's like, um, hey, you're alive, I'm alive. Keep going. I'm like, what, what? But I keep writing because maybe one day some of the things that I write would mean something to her, would speak value and worth into a person who is born in poverty. And poverty tells you that you're not worth it and you're not valuable. There's so much that we can do when we start to think beyond ourselves. And it might sound a little bit harsh and strong today, and I want it to be harsh and strong because we live in a land of plenty. 
We live trying to think about the next $1,000 that I can get, the next investment that I'm going to make, the next job, the next promotion, the next house, the next holiday. Oh my gosh, Australians and holidays, what is with that? You spend thousands of dollars on holidays. But what about making a difference? I'm not saying holidays are bad, but I'm saying think about it in the context of your whole life. Are you, are you taking stock of where God has got you? And I, I love being generous, and, and it's something that as a church we want to value. It's something that I think is so important. And, and part of our values is that we want to be intentionally generous. And, and something that I found out is that being generous is fun. It's actually so much fun. Uh, and we spoke about this a little while ago, but as a church, uh, two months ago, we, we, gave, we sowed $5,000 into another church that is um, you know, trying to reach out and do something new in their community. And, and, and as we were praying, our eldership got behind us, our board got behind us and said, yeah, do you know, this is a really great idea. Let's give them the $5,000. And I called them up. And it was so funny just hearing this is going to sound strange, but hearing how speechless this guy was. And I was like, this is fun. I want to make more phone calls like this. And I, I, it, it's cool when suddenly this person is like, you're, you're doing something. And then a little while later, we heard from one of the team in that church, and, and, and she was saying how they were getting a bit frustrated with the process and a little bit like, oh, man, are we really going to be able to get there? And it said, just hearing that someone else believed in us. You see, money gives us options. Money doesn't satisfy. Money gives us options. And the option is now, come on, we believe in you. I want my money to speak. And I want it to say to other people, I believe in you. I believe that something's going to happen through you. I believe that God has got a plan and a purpose. I believe that this is going to unlock your future. I want my money to speak like that. I don't want my money to say, go get a suntan in Bali. Sometimes that's okay, but I want the majority of my money to be saying, come on, your life is worth something and you're going to do something. I love that. I think it's so cool. And another thing that I realize is that when we are generous and we understand that the heart of generosity comes from the fact that God has already given, and Marcy was talking about this, but in Luke 16 verse 13, I'm going to finish really soon. It says this, sorry, wrong one, Hebrews 13 verse 5. Hebrews 13, verse 5, it says this, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Here it is. Because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You know why generosity gives us a satisfying life? Because it breaks the ability for money to tell you it's all about you. And suddenly it opens you up to the fact that God has provided. Oh my gosh. God said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Therefore, I can be free of the love of money. So when we gave that $5,000, God decided, we weren't even intending this, we weren't even thinking about this, but when we gave that $5,000, God decided it was time for him to show us that he's in charge and he's able to do something. He gave, we gave that $5,000. Within six weeks, we had made that $5,000 back. Our giving as a church increased by 20% in that six-week period. Generosity makes us bigger. Generosity opens us up to a satisfying life. 
And generosity doesn't make me more special. It's just me simply taking the steps that God has ordained for me. Remember, the Bible tells us again and again, I've created you for good things. I didn't create you for selfish, self-focused problems. You know where depression comes from? From a selfish mindset. If you are suffering and struggling with it, understand that I love you and I'm willing to walk with you through this. But also understand is to break depression, look up and look beyond. You need to start doing something about what is going on in your world. That is what the Bible says again and again. Hear this heart. This is not just to put you down. This is not to put you down. This is to challenge you to see that there's something so much more in each and every single one of us. I've not been built to be generous. There are some people that just live super generous lives. My sister is one of them. When we were growing up, she would give presents to every single person she knew. It was a good thing Facebook didn't uh, exist back then because she would have given all her money away and then given my money away too. That's the kind of person she was. I was like, why do you have no money? And like, because I know so many people. It's like, don't stop knowing people. That's the kind of person I was. And, and I realized that money captured me. Money made me anxious. Money made me worried because I made money king. But when I chose to go, God, if you are asking me to do something, I'm going to say yes. Remember, we talked about this a couple of months ago. Suddenly something opens up. Our faith needs to be action out, church. And today, maybe for you is writing that letter. Maybe for you is considering whether sponsoring a child is right for you or not. What Jess was telling me, it was a little bit sad that at the moment, current moment, one of the challenges facing compassion as an organization is that with the global financial crisis and stuff like that, many people are dropping their commitment to their childs, childs, their children. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and, and so we want you to be able to carry out the commitment properly. So make sure you consider it. Even if you think about it, next week we're going to have that available as well. But what is your next step? Is this simply stewardship? Simple stewardship. God says, I do, bam, something happens. You notice that as a church, we don't give $5,000 away every week. We only gave when God put that on our heart. Some of our elders are like, why don't we? <laughs> I'm like, please. <laughs> Still a bit scared about that. But when God says, I do, bam, something happens. God says, I do, bam. I'm disconnecting what money says to me. Remember, that's the base level. That's what we live with. That's what our culture tells us. You need more money. You need more holidays. You need a new car. You need this. You need that. But God says, you need me. But with me, all things are possible. You're going to have all things added to you as you follow me. And that's the life that I want us to live. So this morning, why don't we give it up for Jess? She's coming to share with us, and I think it's a great opportunity. And um, yeah, love compassion. Cool. What a challenging word, hey? Um, I'm so happy to be here. Uh, I was here last year. For some of you, I may not have met you before. And it was so cool to see that last year, this group of people, we sponsored 12 more children. This group of people, we sponsored 12 more children. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.